You're listening to Minds and Musicians, Episode 3 with Tim Hicks. out there listening to this like keep on playing and if you can find friends and then around the same age you need to play together that's that's how you're going to get real good real fast is when you're playing with other people and you're learning to listen our students are going to be so excited they always want to learn your songs tim oh, i'm sorry for that <laughs> all three chords huh all of them. I got a I got a student that wears his Tim Hicks Hicks hat almost constantly. Really? Oh, yeah. That's he awesome. Years ago, and and he's still you know he's got that hat on every time I see him. I love so, that. I'm yeah, so I got a couple of students that I've taught stronger beer to a lot of students. Let me tell oh you, my, that's a parenting issue. That's a parenting <laughs> issue. I'll I'll start you off. Then. I I know you started out uh, really young as a guitar player, right? Yeah, started. started um, and you were one of Tim Miller's students, which I, I knew Tim yeah. back um, at the conservatory. So he was your teacher way back when. What? Uh, and you played you played guitar first, I guess that was your. Main well, day. no, actually. So I was in organ lessons at the conservatory. So I I had um okay. So how do I get? So my great grandmother who lived in Niagara Falls, she had an organ in her parlor. That's how old her house was, and it's still there. It's still on Stanford Green Drive in Niagara Falls. Uh, I don't know if the, I don't, in fact, I know the organ's not there because one of my mom's cousins has it. But um, yeah, so I just used to, it was one of those organs that had like the, the numbers on the, on the keys. Yeah. And it, there was a book there that had numbers on the page. And so I figured out how to kind of key around and they were all church hymns, you know, it was yeah. like sticky first, Jesus loves me, you know, that kind of thing. But it didn't take me long before I was like, kind of like figuring out one of the first things I figured out was that song from that, I think it was a Disney movie, Somewhere Out There. Do you remember this? Somewhere out there. Anyway, so I was like three, four years old or something like that. And my parents were like, hmm? You know, and I remember when they asked me, I said, would you like to take lessons? I said, yes, I would love that. And this man from the conservatory came to our home and yeah. I had to decide then if I was going to be in piano lessons or organ lessons. And I didn't know anything about piano because I'd only ever played an organ. So I said organ. And so when I started at the conservatory, it was organ lessons. But what and what got me into, you know, the next sort of phase was at the conservatory. And this was brilliant. At the conservatory, they put together little bands. Yeah. So you'd have your like half hour lesson or in this case, I was in like group lessons. So it was an hour with like. I don't know, three or four other kids playing organ. But also on like Wednesday nights at eight o'clock, we'd have a one hour band practice with kids around the same age. So I was playing keyboards back then, really. Yeah. And not I wasn't singing in the first band. There's another kid, his name was Ryan. He And he was the singer and guitar player. And uh, uh, I just got bit by the bug. I just, I loved it. I, all of a sudden, music was a team sport. You know, yeah. like it went from like noodling around and with my headphones on because my that was the other thing with the organ is my my parents got me a big set of canned just like these really, uh, but like the '80s style headphones I could plug into the organ and I could play anytime day or night because I was like I was obsessed like I was getting up at six a.m. and like wailing wailing <laughs> out somewhere out there on the on the organ <laughs> at six a.m. My parents are like shut up, so we got uh, some headphones and anyway I, I I was never not in a band after that and I, I was eight years old, seven years old. Yeah, I, I taught for the conservatory and I taught those bands and then it, that was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Territory to have, have, you know, the opportunity to play with, with other mm -hmm. kids. And that, 
I got to say, when I was a student there, I was about 11 or, or around there when I started. So I was about 12 when I got in my first band and I went, mm -hmm. oh my God. I, this, this is, is way awesome. better. Yeah. yeah and I, I explain that to people all the time. Like I get asked all the time, hey, my son wants to play guitar. What can you say? And I always say, play with other people. It's the, yeah. it's, I, and I, and I, I kind of like use the analogy. You can get your hockey net and put it in your driveway and go out after school by yourself and practice your stick handling and practice your accuracy with your wrist shot and all that stuff. And it's great. It's fun. But when you get two or three kids together, all of a sudden you get a little scrimmage. Yeah. That is awesome, you know, and way better than just playing by yourself. So music is the same, you know what I mean? It's a, and, and there's so many skill sets that you don't even realize you're developing when you're playing with other people, you know, listening. It's such an important thing in a band, you know, oh, yeah. being able to listen and being able to talk, you know, as you're playing. Hey, let's take, take, take another one. You know, yeah. go again. Yeah. Let's take it back to the top. Hey, let's throw another chorus. You know, especially when you're playing bars. We need to waste 45 minutes. <laughs> take another solo, Jack. Yeah. Play that fucking music, white boy. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, these are the skill sets that you're developing when you're playing with other people. And it's so important. So yeah. important. That's like our entire business model for the Music Depot. Mm. <laughs> that's what we yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and you know, that's, that's important work to do because... You know, there is no, like, you know, it's where we live in Canada. There's a hockey league and there's baseball and there's football probably someplace and basketball and you can put your kids in tennis and you can do all those things. Why not music in the same way? Like, why not sign up for band camp? You know what I mean? And yeah. like a day camp yeah. and go and do that. You know, that, that, those were pivotal years for me, you know, learning how to um, not uh, lose your marbles with stage fright, you know, going up to play in front of people and, you know, mustering the courage to sing in front of people. And it, like for me, for me, that was fairly easy. Like, for you know, my mother would say I came out singing and I, I've, I had an innate ability to be able to play and sing at the same time, which, you know, I come to find out years later that, that that's unusual. So, you know, that was yeah. something that was developed at the conservatory, you know, before it, it sort of went uh, in, a, in a more pro way, because I sort of, you know, I sort of skipped some steps in the sense that like I was playing in conservatory bands and little Kiwanis festivals and band competitions and things. And then one day I found myself doing a gig in a bar and then never really looked back, you know? Yeah. I feel like yeah. Jack was the same way. He kind of went down the same path, right? Well, and that's how we, that's how we bonded was because he, you know, he saw us play and I was playing guitar and keyboards and singing in my band. And I remember you telling me, Jack, even as a kid, like I was 17, 16, 17 years old. You're like, yeah, you remind me a lot of me. Yeah. I'm going to give you a gig. He used you know? to tell me like, yeah, Tim Hicks used to sneak into the bar underage to play. Yeah. I did. Yeah, I did. And and if they found out often, they would just make me leave on the break. Like that happened at the Queenston Hotel in St. Catharines. You know, I'd had to go and stand on the sidewalk on the break. Oh, wow. I could come in and play, probably not legally, like, you know, in retrospect, they probably, I probably wasn't allowed to be there at all, but we justified it in the, well, you know, he's not at the bar, he's playing, he's working right now. And on his break, you go stand on the sidewalk. And that was how it went. You know, I, remember those I had to go. I had to go hang out in the, in the back dressing room. Yeah, because yeah. I was underage, so I would hang out in the dressing room. I could only be on stage or in the dressing room. I couldn't be out on the, the bar. Exactly. Room. Same with me. And I, as soon as I could grow a goatee to look older, that's I grew my Yeah, it was the '90s. You know, for me, it was the '90s. It was like goatees were in. As soon as you had one of those, then hey, you must be 19. You know, but I was like literally 15, 16, 17 years old playing in bars, and you grow up fast musically. Oh, yeah. You know, like in in life as well, but uh, but musically for sure. You know, when you're playing three nights a week, four nights a week, five nights a week, 
You know, yep. the band gets pretty good. The chops get pretty good. Yeah. Well, we, we booked your, your band in. Um, one of our, our doormen brought me your CD mm -hmm. from one of your, your previous bands and mm -hmm. said, uh, you know, hey, listen to these guys. So I threw you yeah. right into the PA through the in the bar mm -hmm. in, in the afternoon and listened to you guys and said, OK, get, give me a number yeah. and I'll, I'll book them. Yeah. Uh, and I remember I was doing sound for you. Mm -hmm. and standing on stage and you asked me if the owner was a cool guy because you didn't want to get thrown out because you were underage you had yes. no idea that it was my club no idea I was just, I was just the sound guy so yeah. like oh no i think you're all right uh, how old you're are all you right. i talked to you for a little bit and said oh yeah just don't make a fool of yourself and everything be cool don't, i remember that don't make a fool of yourself yeah <laughs> which which we did you know we were all we were good you know that we didn't even drink uh, in those days, because, you know, the guys that I were playing with were, were much older and we used to rehearse at my house. And I think out of respect for me and for my parents and for that situation, like we were very straight edge, you know, until my 19th birthday at the at the Queen Victoria Hotel in Dunville, Ontario. And then <laughs> and all that went out the window. We were living it. It was rock and roll, buddy. Uh, you, you guys know? were a good little band back then. I mean, I, yeah. I always enjoyed you guys. You you were all over the board. You had some great vocals. Yeah, was, strong vocals. Yeah, between yeah. me, and Brad, and and uh, and the other guys too. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was just fun. smoking little bands. I, I always loved loved it when you guys played. Which we loved it when you played with us. We loved it when you played with us because you were a way better guitar player than we'd ever seen. So <laughs> it was always great when Jack would jump up and jam with us. It was that was a lot of fun. It was always a good time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what was the name of that band? That was, it was, a, there were a number of names. So early on, it was called Confusion of the Senses. And then after that, it was Round Four. Yeah. And then, and then that, that was the end of that, uh, of that road. And, and that band sort of broke up around the year 2000. I took a gig. I mean, it was coming to an end anyway, but I took a gig uh, playing uh, on a cruise ship. And that sort of ended, ended that band. Plus, we were very moody with each other at that point and you know yeah. we're going in different way di different directions creatively as they say you know what i mean yeah. it's like, you know well, guys, uh, by that point like you said they were a little older they were you yeah. know settling down getting married taking on real day jobs and stuff. yeah yeah and i was you know i was like 20 years old 21 years old and somebody gave me an opportunity to go play around the world you know uh i took it and yeah. you know I, I don't regret that i you know i, I th that was once again it's like you're in a situation where we were playing, we were the lounge band on one ship and I did that for four months. It was a four month contract and uh, we, we sailed around the Mediterranean wow. and we, we played five hours a night in different wow. uh, capacities. So, and what I loved about that gig was I had to learn 300 songs and that, that included like Summer Wind by Frank Sinatra to, you know, all the Beatles catalog. Uh, we did a country night, a disco night, 50s, 60s. We were the band, like we had to do the girl from Impanima uh, at the yeah. cocktail, you know, on Tuesday nights. And so as a songwriter and a musician, like th that was invaluable education. You know, when oh, you're sure. when you're shedding that kind of material and really like learning those parts and those chords and those progressions, it was like, how could you not learn how to write a song when you're uh -huh. dissecting all that stuff on a nightly basis and living and breathing it? Because, you know, when we weren't playing and running around, you know, chasing dancers and doing all that stuff, uh, we were we had guitars in our hands, you know, yeah. figuring out the next tune that we were going to play that night or something that went wrong the night before or rehearsing or writing and doing all those things. And it was those the songs that I wrote on that became my first solo record, you know, right. so, so to speak, which was, um, you know, then that sort of kicked me off in a direction to, to, to be a solo guy. Although you know, I will say this, it's like I'm, I, I just want to play in a band. Yeah. You know? 
but I want to make all the decisions. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were, you were talking about it earlier. I remember you coming coming to the my store in Port Colborne, and yep. uh, you had all your songs on the phone, mm -hmm. and we sat in my in my teaching room put it through my stereo listening to your your first recordings which you obviously you did probably right where you're sitting yeah um, in your little studio at home and and i thought wow you know that he's he's gone in this direction which was more country style right which mm -hmm. was probably more where you were always meant to go yeah so, well I, I i that happened by accident like because you know there was no country station on in niagara when we were growing up oh. uh, it wasn't uh, really on my radar um but as I started to gig more and more, people would ask me for it. And, yeah. and so secretly, I was starting to, you know, turn the dial. You know, at that point, Hamilton had a station and Buffalo had a station. And I was, I was, I, I was listening to it because and, and I always had a hard time figuring out where I fit in as an artist because of, you know, there were so many influences, you know, from, you know, from Led Zeppelin to Blue Rodeo. And it's like, yeah, what do I love about Blue Rodeo? Well, I love the steel guitar on Blue Rodeo. I love the harmonies. I love the songwriting. I love the acoustic guitar. Okay, what do you love about the Eagles? I love the songwriting. I love the guitar playing. I love the harmonies. I love the songs. Like, you know, I, it's like the, what I, I realized in retrospect is like the, the musical things that I love tend to lend themselves more to country music than other things. And I it would hit me like a ton of bricks one day when I realized I had more in common musically with Keith Urban than I did with Dallas Green. You know, both play acoustic guitar. Yeah. But I couldn't relate to what was happening around Niagara, you know, on the on the indie scene. Right. And, and it, so, you know, it kind of made sense, you know. And, and then when I got to Nashville and they kept asking me, so Tim Hicks, huh? Yeah. What's your real name? <laughs> yeah, it works well. <laughs> my real name. They said, yeah, but what's your real name? I said, no, that's my real name. Yeah, sure it is. I'm like, no, it is. Yeah. And I remember my producer at the time, he goes, he goes, perfect. <laughs> like this, like Tim Hicks, right? Like, the, how could I not know I was a country singer, you know, like right from right out of the gate. And, you know, it's so funny and it sounds ridiculous. But the moment I put on a pair of cowboy boots, I felt at home. Yeah. And it, finally, I felt like this is where I belong. I belong with these people. You know what I mean? I know I didn't grow up on a ranch. And I don't wear a cowboy hat, you no. know, because of that. Like, I didn't, I'm not a farm boy. I grew up on the streets of Niagara Falls, you know? So it's like, yeah. but, but I love all that music, you know, especially the country rock stuff, which is really what I do, you know, at the end of the day. Very much so, yeah. 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 So again, you went, so you went from playing organ, playing church music on an organ, which <laughs> is awesome to learn with my great grandmother. Yeah. Yes. Um, I love that. Um, to playing with round four. Yep. to playing on a cruise ship to yep. going into a solo career <laughs> yeah and i mean in between there i was doing jobber gigs too like i i had a short stint as a touring musician uh for that band uh serial joe do you remember okay. that yeah yep so you know they they recorded a record in in um in niagara at rob wells studio and rob uh still a very good friend of mine plays drums in my band and has yep. since basically since the year 2000 um, and they recorded with uh, Corey McFadden over there, and Corey and I were tight at the time, and he, he got me the gig to play with Serial Joe. So between that, I was doing like crew gigs. You know, I learned how to mix monitors, uh, wrap cables. I was doing uh, spotlight gigs out at uh, Arizona's, you know, when Matt Good would come to town. I was moving cases. I, like, I wanted to learn every part of the business, you know, especially the, 
like the technical end, like the creative end, you know, like I loved wrapping cables at the end of the night and, and watching, uh, you know, watching the crew tear down the thing. I still like it, you know, and, and that was a hard thing for me. I remember having to get like being sat down by my management company before we did our big, big first club tour saying, listen, like you can't do that when you're done, you can't go back out and wrap cables. No, and I was like, I was like, what? Yeah. I'm not doing that. What do you think I am? Some kind of prima donna? I'm in the band too. You know, I'm going out and wrapping my cables. They're like, you can't go out and wrap cables. <laughs> and I was on this tour early on uh, with Dallas Smith and Chad Brownlee. And I ca- I kind of called them out on it. Like we were, they because they had a fancy bus and I was literally following the bus in my minivan. Okay. <laughs> and at the, the last gig I did with them, they invited me on the bus, you know, oh, wow. kind of hang and have a beer after the show. And all the band and crew, everybody's band and crew was out wrapping cables, putting their stuff away. And here the three of us are on the bus having a beer. And it, it, was, it was, there was a quiet moment. And I, I looked at them, I said, boys are working pretty hard, huh? As if to say, like, get out there and wrap a cable for God's sakes. You know what I mean? But, but, you, but you, that's the show part of the show business is that you can't have the star, quote unquote, we try not to use the S word around here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go out and wrap his own microphone cable at the end of the night. It just doesn't, it doesn't look right. And, and typically now, I mean, I didn't understand it then, but now there isn't time for that anyway, because uh, when you come off the stage immediately, you know, we need five or 10 minutes to decompress and to yell at each other, you know, yeah. something happened that night. Like we need to, de- we need to debrief the show. Hey man, what happened in the second verse of the blah, blah, blah. You know, like, <laughs> They were like, hey, that was awesome when you did that thing. We got to do that again tomorrow. That was, you know, like you, gotta, you have to have that. And yeah. then immediately someone's grabbing me to go to a meet and greet or some kind of a signing line or a VIP thing. or So there really isn't, there isn't time, you know, to do the things that we used to do, which was wrap cables at the end of the night. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, 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 I get paid to move gear. Mm-hmm. I don't, uh, you know, I play for free. But yeah, I say that all the time. I and I still say that to people because, you know, the odd time someone will want to help you with your gear. And really, it's like, I don't want strangers touching my Martin guitars. So I'll say, nah, that's okay. I got it. I The music's free. The music's yeah. free. This is what I get paid for. You know, right. I used to say that all the time when I was in bars because it's like, hey, get your drunk butt away from my <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I know a lot of people are going to you know, they're, they're, they're wondering, how did you break through with the country music? So you kind of, you started yeah. your solo career, started writing your own stuff um, mm. in the, in the country genre. Mm. And then what did you do? What did you do once you had those songs? Well, I was just, I was just working. That's all I was doing. And, yeah. you know, I, there was a long period of time where I wasn't writing. I wasn't doing anything. Like if I was see around the songs that Jack's talking about are like, I made, I made myself a little bit of a, like an acoustic CD that I could, sell off the stage you know mm-hmm. and, and those included songs like you know like the, that i played for you i think was just like jane and all those two that we wound up that i you know played at the niagara music awards um but uh what happened was i i was just working and i i had a moment um where i had kind of decided that i didn't want to do it anymore i had sort of proven to everybody that that i could if i wanted you know have a career in music um at the bar level you know i was making a living and that was that was fine but i was like you know i was like i was 10 years in 15 years in i thought like you know i've had enough like i I don't want to deal with drunk people i'm arguing with bar owners over 80 dollars at the end of the night well it's you know how's 60. you know not enough (laughs) 
How, you know, how about you pay me what you told me you were going to pay me? You know, that kind of thing. Like, I was just sick of it. And my wife was like, and I don't even think we were married yet. Or maybe we were. I don't think so. And she said, because uh, I asked her if she could get me a in, in, uh, job at the region. Can they, wow. At the Niagara region. I said, could you get me an interview? She goes, well, probably. But what? what why? And I said, I'm sick of it. You know, I've been doing this a long time. I'm not getting anywhere, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, oh, boo-hoo you. I'll never forget that. Boo-hoo you. I said, what do you mean? She goes, you get to do what you love to do every night, and it brings happiness to people. And shouldn't that be enough, whether you're, you know, whether you're making millions or making $100? Who cares? Mm -hmm. You're doing it. And I, that, to me, was, like, pretty pivotal because – in the meantime, you know, I had my, I had a band called Miles Above and that band fizzled out. Like we were going to make it, you know what I mean? Like every band, you know, we were going to make it. And that band broke up and I was so heartbroken and I, did, I didn't know what to do with myself. I took a job um, playing in a Beatles tribute band again on cruise ships. And I, I got to play all over the world singing Beatles. And, but when I got back from that gig and I, you know, cause I'd had enough of it or whatever, all the house gigs that I had lined up before that I was promised would be here when I got back, I thought I was gonna, I was coming home to a hero's welcome. Like I had literally been around the world playing music, and I was excited to get back to my Tuesday night gig in Brantford and my Wednesday night gig in Waterloo and my Thursday night gig in Guelph. And I got back, and they all went, "Oh yeah, see, it's going really well with the other guys." So oh, yeah. no, <laughs> and I had no work. And for the for the very first time, because you know I I, I you know, not that I had an easy time finding gigs, but my calendar was almost always full. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden I found myself without a full calendar, and I didn't know what to do with myself. And so I asked Amanda, you know, can you get me this thing? And she's like, Listen, I don't care what you do, as long as you're you know upholding your end of the bargain and you're happy, then keep doing what you're doing. And I thought, Oh, okay. And then, we can all thank yeah, her for that. Absolutely. And and so that kind of renewed my energy to go back out and, and do gigs. So I was gigging and working and that's all I was doing. And I was happy doing that. You know, I had house gigs. I, I worked myself away. I was doing Wednesday nights downtown Toronto, uh, Thursday nights in Guelph, you know, Friday night, Saturday night with the band, Sundays, you know, Tuesdays, lots of acoustic gigs. My calendar was full. All of a sudden it was all good. And then these songwriters saw me play in, in at my gig in Toronto. And, uh, and they said, you know, you got a good voice. Thanks. Do you write? And I said, oh, yeah. Now, I hadn't written anything in a long, long time. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, I write. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, we've got, you know, we've we've got a you know pub deal over at EMI and, and some studio time. You want to come and write some songs? And I said, sure. So why not? You know, and I, I went and I, I wrote some songs with these with this uh, these guys. It was uh, Casey Marshall was his name and Neil Sanderson from Three Days Grace. He's the drummer. Okay. Um, and they they had like a little development company and and they and we we struck up a relationship and uh, wrote some songs and demoed them and they took those songs to Nashville and they played them for Ron Kitchener who's my current uh, manager and Ron you know as legend has it I wasn't there but I heard he said these songs are terrible but this this guy's got something with his voice <laughs> and uh, maybe we'll see maybe we should see him play. And that year, so that was, say, in June of 2011, and uh, that following fall, the CCMA Awards were in Hamilton. So they were like, listen, if you set up a showcase, these guys might come. So I begged the, uh, this bar, Squires, at Fenelon Wentworth in Hamilton, hey, let me come in, set up my gear. It's on a Sunday afternoon. I'll play for free. 
you know, I'm going to do a set of my originals and then I'll stick around and I'll do two sets of covers for you. And they were like, you're going to play for free. All right. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So, and I packed the rim, like, you know, cause there was a chance that this guy from Nashville was going to show up and see me play. And, uh, so, you know, all my aunts and my uncles and everybody, all my friends came and we've, and we ran this bar and sure enough, buddy walks in That's and I knew right cool. away. I was like, this is him for sure. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, do you know where I can find Tim Hicks? And I said, that's me. And he goes, all right, man, show me your stuff. Oh, that must've been so nerve wracking. <laughs> oh, it was insanity. But here, listen, this is the, this is the thing. I had been playing six nights a week for 15 years now. So I was prepared musically yeah. for what was about to happen, you know, and I had been d doing gigs like that for forever. And that was always my mantra was like, you know, I would take guff from my musician friends. Hey, man, you know, doing covers is a waste of time. Uh, you should be doing originals. And, you know, that the thing. And I was like, listen, if I can play five nights a week and make a little bit of money and uh, be musically in shape. Yes. Yeah. You no. Know, like vocally uh, and, and guitar wise and confident, you know, because it, I was just doing my gig. It wasn't like a big thing. Like, well, in my original band, we play once a month and we play for the door. And then when you have to play for an agent or a manager, all of a sudden everyone's nervous because they yeah. have only done three gigs together over the last four months. Well, for me, it was like just going and doing my gig. So I was prepared for him and, you know, went up, did my thing and he stayed, he stayed. Yeah. And I thought that that was interesting. So I finished my set and he was still there sitting at the table with my wife who was super pregnant. Super <laughs> pregnant. So he, you know, I sit down and he said, that's yeah, pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. He goes, you got your hands full, you know, pointing at the baby bump, right? I said, yeah. And he goes, when's the baby due? I said, November. He said, okay, have the baby come down to Nashville in January and we'll see what happens. Oh, and wow. that was it. And that, that was all I heard, you know, until... You know, we had the baby and uh, started to reach out. Hey, okay, we, we've set up some rights for you. You know, come to town. And on January 5th, 2012, we wrapped my son, who was five weeks old, in a blanket. And we drove my minivan to Nashville, you know, wow. to try. To try. And that was, that was it. And what was super weird was there was no defining moment. Like, they just kept asking me, when can you come back? When can you come back? When can you come back? And, you know, gone are the days where record companies pay for anything. It was yeah, always yeah. on my own dime. And that was a test. It was to see how invested I was in this whole thing. You know, of mm -hmm. course, I mean, they didn't know me. They didn't know that I had invested my entire existence into music and on this, you know. But I remember, Jack, you'll appreciate this. So there was a, there was a moment I was in the office uh, early on. And they said, so let me get this straight. So you you put the PA system into your van. I said, yes. And you drive to a gig. Yes. You set it up. Mm -hmm. And then you play. I said, yes. And you get paid at the end. I said, yes. And then you tear it all down and you do it again the next night. I said, yes. And they were like, wow. Because in Nashville, and they thought, all have in-house PAs. Everybody's all set up. Well, I don't know what it, what that was, but I said, who are you signing? Yeah. <laughs> That's the gig? That's the gig. That the gig. gig? That's the gig, guys. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's what, that's what we do. And they were like, they were so impressed. You know, and I thought, come to Niagara. This, yeah. I, there, there's 20 guys that do that where I live. 
You know what I mean? We've, we've made our own scene, you know? And I didn't realize until after the fact of like how valuable that is, especially even, even today on the national level, in, you know, in, in the country genre, I can only speak to that because that's my experience. Not too many people have the amount of experience that the guys around here have, you know? And, and uh, that has come in handy on many occasions you know, when crew guys are trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And, and you're like, oh, so you can't, you can't give me more guitar on my monitor? Well, get out of the way. Let me, where's, which strip is it? You know what I mean? I'll do it myself. <laughs> I'll do it myself. And that has come in, that has been in, that experience has been invaluable, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I, I really, I'm still proud of that. Like, I still, I know, like, I'm considered an artist, you know? <laughs> I don't consider myself an artist. I consider myself a working musician still you know i and i wear it like a badge of honor you know mm -hmm. that that i come from that and there isn't any gig that i couldn't do standing on my head because i've had to you know yeah. what i mean from silly gigs like one time i did a gig on a double decker bus and i was car sick the entire time <laughs> i still did my gig you know went out i've i've been thrown up behind the base cabinet still yeah. did my gig you know what I mean? Like, there, you know, all these things, microphones stopped working. We had a moment, we were playing Calgary Stampede a few years back uh, at the Saddle Dome, opening for Luke Bryan. And there, it was sold out. There was 10,000 people there. Wow. And in those days, we were opening with Get By, which was my first single. So it's, you know, I like to drink, she likes to smoke. And the band kicks in and it's like intro rolls and it's cooking. And I get into the verse, everybody do, and my microphone cuts out. Oh. Now I knew exactly what the problem was. I knew what it was, but I'm singing the song and I'm trying, and there's 10,000 of your friends yeah, standing in front of you. And I looked over at my guitar player and I was just like, oh, here we go. And I walked over to his mic and I just finished out the song. And in between breaths, trying to yell to the, cause now the crew guys are diving everywhere. Everybody's trying <laughs> to fix this microphone. And I knew what it was. I've, I've got like a little vocal pedal on my board that makes it sound like a megaphone. Yeah. And sometimes when we fly, the power supply for that gets jostled on the oh. inside of my board. And you just need to flip it open and secure it back down. And I'm yelling, check the power supply. No, the power supply. No, check out the power And, and you know, to us, that was just another gig. And yeah. but when we finished, the amount of kudos that we got, like on social media and, you know, from people that were there and industry people like radio folks were there. They were like, you guys were so calm about it like your microphone cut out like what was that like i said like the other ten thousand times that my microphone cut out only there was more people there so, you know we just yeah, did our yeah. gig you know what i mean like that's what you do when you when you're doing your gig you know it and it's, is... that's something we really stress to our students you will mess up things will go wrong the it only thing that wrong. matters is you don't stop stop don't stop ever. right yeah, don't get don't, don't make a stupid right. face and go oh you know just yep. just keep going and deal yep. with it yeah, because those things are going to happen. And and the only way to be comfortable, well, listen, those it's never comfortable in those situations, but the no. only way to, to get through it is to experience it and go, okay, we've been here before. What do I do? There's lots of other microphones on the stage that are working. I'm going to use yours now, you yeah. know, when somebody fixes mine, you know, and, uh, and then you, you get out of that. So, you know, when, when, again, like, you know, to make a long story over, when people ask me, you know, what do I, my son is 10 and he wants to be a blah, blah. I said, just get out and play. Yeah. Just get out and play because I think it's a lost art. You know, everybody wants to be discovered on TikTok or YouTube and not have to do the work. They want to skip it all. But guess what happens when you're playing in your bedroom 
it's way different than when you're standing on the stage at Saddledome when your microphone cuts out. Oh, yeah. yeah. What do you do? You melt down? No. You know, you got to get through it somehow. And the only way to do that is, is to not skip the steps of, of, of honing your craft as a live player, you know? Get on yeah. the stage any opportunity that you can. And that's, yeah. you know, that's what we and always You know, for, for us, like, you know, can't do it in a pandemic. But if you remember, uh, there, I think it's The View now out of Hamilton. But we had Pulse Niagara. And in the back of Pulse, mm -hmm. it would tell you where all the open mics were. Yeah. yeah. We used to just do tours of open mics. Just go around and play. You know? That's awesome. That's great but, advice once things open up again. Yeah. Open mic nights over your grandmother's barbecue or on the back deck for your friends. Like, get out and play in front of people and feel what it feels like to mess up in front of an audience or forget the words. It happens all the time. People are Boy. like, oh, forget you've forgotten the words? All the time. And I wrote them. Because <laughs> <laughs> you just I've... think about like you yeah. just, I'm thinking, you know, because sometimes you just get too comfortable, and I'm thinking, oh yeah, I gotta remember, I gotta get milk on the way home. <laughs> oh, it's garbage day tomorrow. I gotta remember to put the recycling out. But I'll I'll bring the blue box out in the morning. Cause oh, and then and then you you mess up the line. You know, it's like just make a joke of it and keep going, or you just mumble your way through it. Oh, I once seen Jack uh, sing the same verse three times oh, in yeah. a song that he's been doing for years. <laughs> yeah, and that happens, you know, and, and that's okay because that's live. Because I'll just say it. I'll make a joke. Yeah, it's live music, folks. Yep. That's no, it. No pre-recorded stuff going on here. No. Or is it? You know, <laughs> just mess with people. Yeah. Uh, so what's the future hold for you, Tim? I know you got so much going on right now. Yeah. Even in a pandemic, you seem to never yeah. stop. Well, I, I kind of did. I, I had to put the brakes on. And, and because my wife being a public health nurse, she has been in the war room mm -hmm. since February of 2020, really, uh, currently now upstairs in Zoom meetings for 12, 14 hours a day. So mm -hmm. I, I literally came home from um, the beginnings of my first world tour and became a stay-at-home dad. Mm -hmm. So navigating that has been difficult, you know, uh, because... I mean, it was a big change from uh, morning, everybody. Which way catering yeah, to, yeah. Uh, you Dad, know. Dad, I want cereal. <laughs> I, I only want egg whites today. You know, <laughs> oh, God, who showed you about egg whites? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to get that yolk in there, you know, like. And so that, that I've been focused on on the home and the family, but I still managed to get out. Like, you know, we were talking about doing an acoustic thing for a long, long time. And because uh, I did tons of gigs like that. I've yeah. done records like that that I've sold off the stage but we thematically we didn't really have a hold on how that was going to look until one day I was like mm, campfire because we that was our one COVID loop loophole was that you know if you're, if you're hanging outside you're okay yeah so have like one or two friends over you know and still be distanced and still be safe and we'd have these you know campfires at the back of my place and I, you know, I grew up camping. My wife grew up camping. We still go camping. We just got back from two weeks. Yeah, yeah. And 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 uh, and so, you know, I got on the phone with my my producer, longtime collaborator Jeff Copeland, and said, I, I think we should make a campfire record, and I think now is the time to do it because we had just entered our second lockdown in Ontario, and I thought, if I don't do something, I'm going to go crazy. Yeah. And so the focus became that, and we wrote a ton over Zoom, uh, and I recorded all my tracks right here, and then sent them down to him, and. You know, Amanda sings on it because I couldn't have, you know, couldn't have my friends come over and sing on it. That's uh, amazing. My, my buddy cut some tracks on it for me, you know, because we needed a, uh, like a, we always cut like gang vocals on all my stuff to make it sound like a drunk crowd. You know, yeah. so that's my vibe. And, yeah. uh, and so, you know, uh, 
like it was a very it was a very homegrown kind of a project for me which was pretty healing you know in a in a time when that was pretty dark so pleased that i you know i was able to get at least something out and now we're about to as you know as the world opens we're about to do a month's worth of tour dates just doing acoustic stuff campfire troubadour yeah so that's so it's, that that's been a lot of fun i love that you did an oasis cover um, oh yeah that yeah. is so cool uh, yeah. you know i i'm i'm listening to the the album and the other day while i was i was thinking around down here i put yeah. the album on i thought well he's got a new one out i better give this a listen sure uh, and it was actually my student brought it to me and said, "Hey, have you heard this new album?" Yeah, because he's a big fan. So I said, "Okay, I'm gonna give it a give it a spin." Mm -hmm. I put it on and I'm tinkering around, and all of a sudden I hear Oasis, and I'm going, mm -hmm. "What is that?" Is yeah. that <laughs> well, I'll tell you how that came about. So, like, I've resisted doing covers uh, because I did covers for so many years. I was sick yeah. of it. I was sick of it. You know, I was so enamored with being able to sing my own songs. You know, people were asking me, are you going to put a cover in this set? I was like, or, or in this, on this tour? It's like, no. You know, I remember like every, there was a summer it, there early on, like maybe summer 2013 or 2014, like every country band in the country was covering, don't believe me, just watch. And I was like, oh, guys, you know, I'm not doing that, you know. Uh, we did put a cover in when the hip announced that they were finishing up before Gord had passed away. So we did a summer where we played Little Bones, which I played a, a million times nice. in every bar, you know, and I love doing that. But I've resisted doing covers. So this time, my, I, you know, because here's the nuts and bolts of the music industry. So I get an idea. I have to call my record label and basically explain to them what I want to do and ask them for a budget because right. nothing's for free. And it costs money to get uh, songs recorded and mixed and mastered and all those things. So, you know, so they were kind of dangling it a little bit. Like, and, you know, I could have put my foot down and thrown a temper tantrum, but I'm, I'm beyond that at this point. And, and my manager was like, got to have a cover. It's a campfire record. Got to have a cover. And then it became, what's it going to be? Yeah. What are you going to cover? And everybody had an opinion. You should do this one. Oh, it's great when you do this one. You should do this one. You should do this one. And I was like listen, if I'm going to do a cover, I'm going to do my, I'm going to find it, you know? And, uh, we were, we were almost there and I was, we were, we were going to do a crowded house song because at this stage, like I wanted to do, so put, give us some context. I wanted to do like patio lanterns, you know, which would be like, great campfire song, great campfire song, right? Canadiana. I love it. Here's the thing. I've got fans in Australia. Now I've got fans in Germany. I've got fans in the UK. None of them know who Kim Mitchell is or what a patio lantern is. And no. the, the one comment that drove me crazy is millennials won't know what a patio lantern is because they don't yeah. make them anymore. Really? And I, was like, I will stand on a table right now in downtown Toronto in a restaurant and I will have the whole place singing patio lanterns. Watch me. Absolutely. You know, they're like, nope, we're not going to give you. Nope. It's not gonna, so I had to think, I was trying to think like worldwide and you know, I was, I was gonna do this Crowded House song and it just wasn't natural for me. Uh, I never covered Crowded House much when I was out in playing bars and, but I went down this rabbit hole during the pandemic of, uh, I went down the Oasis rabbit hole cause I wasn't a fan in the nineties. I was so into classic stuff back then and still am like, you know, Beatles, Stones, Zeppelin, Eagles you know, the band, uh, like sort of country rock, you know, like, I, you know, especially like early seventies stones, like exile and, and, uh, sticky fingers. Like there's a lot of country tendencies on those records. Oh, yeah. And I love that about it. And, you know, that's kind of where, where my head was at. 
back then. And but I started to dip into the '90s nostalgia because I was in high school for the '90s, and I was loving it. And I really went down this oasis rabbit hole. And we were at the eleventh hour, and I came down here and turned on my gear and just sang, you know, "Don't Look Back in Anger," top to bottom. Now. What was weird about that was I never covered that song when I was in bars. We always did like Wonderwall, uh, yeah. Live Forever, you know. I never did that. I figured you'd have to do Wonderwall or Don't Look Back in Anger. You don't do both. Yeah. You know? So I never learned that one. But what, but what was interesting was I'd heard it so many times that I was able to remember it and play it. Recorded it, sent it to my producer. He's like, dude, this is it. I can tell. you're. It's resonating with you. You know, it'll resonate with your fan base. Um, and I think, you know, we should do it. So we, we had to get approval, but once we did, it was, uh, you know, away we go. And, and cause I was thinking like, if I was at a campfire and somebody busted out, don't look back in anger by the first chorus, everyone's singing it, yeah. including me, especially a few beers in, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, well, what a great thing to put on a campfire record. So that's how you wind up with don't look back in anger on there. Yeah. I love that. Mm. That, that, and, and the crickets the crickets are awesome oh yeah that was copeland yeah so he he told me he was going to do that he said i'm going to go i'm going to record my backyard he lives in east nashville and he said i'm going to light a fire and, and record it and i and i said and that's fantastic and it will never make the final mix uh, it, 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 i just thought it's like going to be way too cheeseball you know you're going to yeah. dub crickets and crackling like a <laughs> give me a break and then when i heard it in context i was like jeff you win buddy that, yeah, it, that was it, cool. It's such a vibe um, that had I'd never heard that on a record before. No, you know? I never heard that. Heard lots of sound effects, done lots of things like that. You know, city things, barroom things. You know, recreating crowds, recreating like you know parties. Never recorded a campfire before, and I thought it just cool. gave the record a real cool vibe, and it gives it a good listen. Like I'm proud of it. You know, you can listen to it from from top to bottom, and it's interesting. You know, it's not just the yeah. same. Mm -hmm. I love it. I thought that was pretty cool. Thank you. Um, so now that that's your in 2021, you did two albums. Or you Technically, yeah. I mean, well, we had a lot of those songs in the can. So here, here's what happened. So I was I was slated to do a world tour, um, and I got to do part of it. I played, I flew to Europe and played Berlin. I played Amsterdam, and I was about to play the O2 Arena when uh, Uncle Justin called all Canadians home. Yeah. So I uh, ha had to come home, but. Um, you know, we we had this idea, we're going to put out little EPs, and then it'll make a record, you know, trying to think outside of the box, instead of like, here's my 12 songs, here's my tour. You know, we're just like trying to think of different ways to engage the fan base. And so my idea was we would have Wreck, which would have three songs on it, then we would have Wreck This, which would have those three plus three, and then we would have Wreck This Town, which was... The first three plus the second three plus the third three and maybe maybe a fourth to make ten to make a record and that would be the tour the rectus town tour it never happened it's wow. because of covid so you know i we were slated to release um the good the bad and the pretty which was uh was my current radio single on as the last installment of the rectus town record yeah and i get a call one day that says dude we're jumping ship Nobody wants anything to do with anything that happened in 2020. It's going to have to stop at wreck this, you know, which was kind of a drag for me because I wanted to see the idea through. Yeah. But 
like this is this is real life, you know, and and things don't always go as planned. So I had all those songs in the can ready to go um, prior to uh, prior to uh, to COVID because we were gonna put out wreck this town and then which we did we put out see this is the thing so last summer you know cases were down we're feeling good it's like okay world's getting back to normal and so we put out wreck this town and then boom second wave yeah yeah you know, and towns were literally getting wrecked so yeah. not a good tour name <laughs> not, not a good tour name or a song name and of course it died in in the 20s 20s or 30s i can't even remember and you know that was painful because course you want every song that you put out to to hit top 10 or go number one yeah, or whatever but you know like what are you gonna do it, it it's it is what it is so so yeah i mean technically i've i've done two records but um you know we had we had a bunch of those you know in the can already ready to go and i i'd cut all those vocals in nashville and done all that before before covid so so yeah so there was a lot of creativity happening but uh but i also felt like you know, maybe that was a blessing in disguise because I've been doing the same sort of thing for a long time. And until recently, it was working. You know, yeah, every yeah. time I put out a loud or here comes the thunder or hell raising good time or it's like, boom, it was like working, you know, party country. I was yeah, also yeah. one of the only guys doing that in Canada. Yeah, so, yeah, but yeah. now all of a sudden, you know, the major labels get involved, which they weren't involved uh, prior to, uh, you know, like when I came out, Universal music didn't have any acts and didn't have any domestic country acts sony had a couple warner most definitely didn't um you know all of a sudden you've got all these major labels in the game with five acts and each of them have their own version of me yeah. and you know what i mean it's like so bizarre because they're like well this guy's working we need a tim hicks guy so all of a yeah. sudden you have all these guys that you know half shaved <laughs> baseball cap rock shirt wearing dudes and i was like hey what's going on here you know what i mean but i was flattered in the same breath let's like okay um but now all of a sudden the bar gets raised right so i was sort of looking at at troubadour as a as a springboard so that i can kind of i can kind of rebrand a bit and and do some different things because i mean you guys know um that i my my musicality and my uh you know like my whole thing goes way beyond you know, tight jeans and hell raising good time. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I, I want to do different stuff. And uh, like, you know, I, it got to the point where it's like, I couldn't put out a ballad because radio was like, well, that's weird. Tim Hicks singing a ballad. I'm like, well, and I sing lots of ballads. Yeah. You kill a ballad. You do a great yeah. job. I've, I've yeah, heard but ballads. You, you you've heard, and I've done all, you know, from James Taylor to Waylon Jennings and everything yeah. in between. It's like, I want to do all that because you need all those songs to make your show interesting. And it's sometimes difficult when you're a branded artist to bust out of that. And that's what I love about Troubadour is it, it kind of gets me out. Like all of a sudden I, I can play harmonica again, Yeah. which I'd been saving. Cause I always try and save something, you know, for a while I didn't play electric. Right. Yeah. And then one night, you know, we were being goofy and feeling good. And I took, took the guitar from my guitar player. We traded in the middle of the song and I, you know, ripped a little solo like best I can. I can bend a couple of notes and everyone went, Oh, look at that. He plays electric guitar too. And I thought, Oh, that's valuable. You know, yeah, and then yeah. that became a part of the show where I come out and I play electric and do a little solo and show. And then, you know, the harmonica, it's like I played harmonica for years, covering Neil Young, covering yeah. Bruce Springsteen, covering Piano Man on the guitar with my C-harp, you know. And yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, Tom Petty. So it kind of made sense. Oh, let's do that. And I'm I'm saving the piano, you know, because yeah, I've never yeah. done that yet. I've never hopped on the piano in a show. Uh, but also, too, because it's 
it's a pain in the ass to tour with a piano. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like when we can afford that and when we're back at it, then then you might see me on the next tour, jump on the piano for a tune, you know? So I'm always looking for ways to kind of show my fans and show people that, you know, I'm not just a one trick pony. That's well, great. no, you're very, I mean, we've known you, Jack's known you a long time. I've known you a long time. You're an extremely diverse musician. Thank you. Like more so than most. Mm. Um, I'll never forget, Jack played a gig in Toronto on St. Patrick's Day. And who was the band that played after him? An yeah. Irish band with Tim Hicks. Irish Imposters, yeah. So that was, <laughs> that was the best. That was the, those were the greatest times because prior to getting signed, and you guys know this because it's in your wheelhouse, you do whatever to get a gig. So we could do a full night of rock, a full night of country, and a full night of Irish music or pseudo Irish music, you know, kind of East Coasty, Great Big Sea, yeah. that kind of stuff. Because we would get we would get offers to do that around St. Patty's Day, and you could double your price. Yeah. Oh yeah, you could. <laughs> and all we do, all we all we did was change our shirt. You know, <laughs> like if we were doing country, in in those days, you know, if we were doing country, we were wearing check shirts and cowboy hats and boots and the whole thing if we were doing rock we were just dressed whatever if we were doing irish stuff it was like green shirts and the newsy caps and yeah you know all that it was the same guys and it's the same guys that are in my band today that were doing those gigs with me back then seriously that's, awesome. that's impressive yeah, same, same guys yeah i mean we've grown the family a bit as as you're as you're afforded um to to add more players yeah but yeah. um rob and doug and andrew and me are were the original four and we're all still together. Andrew actually left the band to go play with Steven Tyler and then came back. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's like, you know, we've got this family uh, going and it's the same guys. And we loved it, you know, and we would do all that music. And that's how that's how it actually came about to do Patty Murphy with with Alan Doyle, because I was doing this thing with Alan at the CCMA and we were uh, called a, it was called a Legends show. And they pair you up like this. They sort of pair up, you know, current singers with kind of legend people and uh it went really well we were we sang lovers in dangerous time like the bare knuckle ladies version so me yeah, and yeah. alan and we're hanging in the dressing room after and i had just enough liquid courage <laughs> to tell him how much he meant to me you know because yeah. playing all those songs all those years and i was like alan i gotta tell you there was a time where we played no less than five great big c songs oh, thank you for the music and he goes yeah which ones so i was like well you know Ordinary Day, Patty Murphy, uh, you know, uh, Lukey, uh, like I named them all, you know, he's like, Patty Murphy, huh? Yeah, he goes, I've been thinking about doing a redo of that song, but like kind of a heavy version. And you've got the heaviest band. What do you, what do you think, what do you think we get together and we do something like that? I was like, Alan, I can do it right now. I know the word, I'll sing it for, I'll sing it for you right now. And he's like, well, maybe not right now, but. Oh, and then sort of the managers <laughs> got to get together and the record company has got to work out the thing. And next thing you know, we're flying out to Halifax to cut, you know, the night that Patty Murphy died with uh, with Alan Doyle. And it was a dream come true, you know, just to, to sit in that. He is so funny and he is exactly how you would think he will be. You yeah. know, when, when you meet him, he's just full of energy. And the first time I hung with him, and this was before we did we worked together, we wrote in Toronto uh, with Todd Clark and we went out to dinner. And Todd goes, he's, he pulls me aside and he goes, watch what happens when we go out to the restaurant. Alan can't help but be Alan. And we were there half an hour and he's on the table singing to the entire restaurant. <laughs> so, 
Oh, it was seventeen seventy-eight. Oh, say it was in Sherbrooke. Now you know, like it's like, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, I'm 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 in a restaurant with Alan Doyle's on the table singing for the. It was just, it was wonderful, and he's a wonderful guy, and uh, you know, we had a good time cutting that. So, but you know, it was all those years of of playing that material that kind of led to that that thing. You know, yeah. Again, diversified, right? You got to be yeah. very diversified in your music. Get the, gig. Get the gig and keep the gig. That's it. That's all you want to do. Get the gig and keep the gig, you know? Yeah. Now, you, the other thing I wanted, you, you were going to talk about earlier, but uh, we were waiting for, for Morgan to start recording, was uh, a stronger beer. You, oh, yeah. <laughs> is, is, what is it, double platinum now? Double platinum now, yeah. Okay, so listen, this is how this went down. This was never, stronger beer was never meant to be a song at all. <laughs> it, was a, it was a joke. And here's how the joke went. Two things happened. My day-to-day -day manager, so the guy that came to the bar in Hamilton to watch me play, his name was Denny Carr, and he's from West Virginia, and he's got like a little bit of the drawl and, and was always interested in Canada and loves Canada. But he would ask questions like, you know, and I always say this, but this one sticks out. He'd, he'd say, how do you all drink milk from bags? <laughs> you know, things like that. Like couldn't wrap his head around some Canadianisms, right? And, I, you know, so one day Copeland picks me up at the office, and we're going to go and write at his studio in East Nashville. And I said, hey, man, if you wouldn't mind... If we could hit a shoppers on the way, I'd just like to get like a pack of Smarties or something while we're working. I've got a bit of a sweet tooth. And he's like, I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> shoppers and Smarties, what are you talking about? You know, and I'm like, oh, I'm in America. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, can we stop at Walgreens so I can get some M&Ms? Yeah. Like, Why didn't you say that? So then we started just chit-chatting about like the differences between Canada and, and you know, the United States and... And when he's from Montreal, by the way, but he's the most American Canadian I ever met. He, he moved from Montreal when he was 19 and apparently has no recollection of anything Canadian. It's just bizarre. It's so all when, I, when I explained to him, I was like, dude, we have pro football in Canada. He's like, you do? I said, yeah, it's the CFL. It's way better than the NFL. One less <laughs> down, the ball's bigger, field's longer, way more challenging, yeah. you know? And that was something that was beaten into me as a kid. My dad and my grandpa would always say, CFL, it's a way tougher game. You know, one less down, you know, longer field. You got to, it's a faster game. They're kicking more often, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, you know, I always get defensive about that as a, I'm a Ticats fan. So you know, once I explained to him like bigger balls, longer field, he's like, buddy, too easy. We got to write this. We got to write it for Denny. And he said, just to get a laugh. He said, so that day we wrote two songs. We wrote the real song and we wrote, you know, what became Stronger Beer. And it was initially titled, We Are All North Americans. Okay. So that was the idea, right, behind it. And, uh, you know, finished up this little demo and sent it in and fully expected to get the call, like, ha ha, very funny, boys. Where's the real song? And we were going to send it in, like, you know, like the Guess Who did with American Woman. Like, they play the first bit, and the guy's like, I don't know. And then they flip it over. Da, 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 and everyone's like, yeah, that's what we wanted to do, right? Instead, get this phone call, and it's like playing in the background. And they're like, we love it. It's going on the record. This is amazing. We can't wait for a bottle. And I was like, bigger balls in a longer field? Are you for real? I got to sing that now? And like, I was really self-conscious about it, especially in America. Like, you know, they've got guns down there. <laughs> like, I don't want, you know, so it was so bizarre. And then it just, it just goes to show that you never know what's going to connect and resonate with people. And that one, 
you know, what a blessing to have a song that has permeated pop culture. Yeah. You know, that's the one that everybody waits for. And it'll say, we say A on my headstone. And some days I'm irritated by it. Like, guys, I'm doing a new record. That was 10 years ago. Get over it. You know, that kind of thing. And then my band will very gently be like, every act in the country wants a stronger beer, buddy. Yeah. yeah. Lucky that you have that. And, and he's right. And, you know, in the same breath that I can say, I understand why Van Morrison didn't play Brown Eyed Girl for 30 years. Yeah. How do you deny your fans that? Yes. You know, yes. I could never do like people ask me, are you going to play stronger beer? It's like I will never not play stronger beer. I would have to hate the audience so much. Yes, because you don't play it play for you. I don't play it for me. No. And we don't rehearse it. You know what I mean? Like, it's like one of those ones. It's like, and we will play stronger beer. Moving on, you know, because <laughs> we've played it so many times. We don't need to we don't need to do that. But it's it, what a blessing, you know, to have to have that. Like I said, it's just it's uh, never in a million years would have thought that a song like that would uh, would resonate with people as much as it has. Like so much so it's like it's double platinum, double you know? platinum. Well, that's amazing. And congratulations, because thank you. that's that's quite the uh, the accomplishment. Hmm. Uh, it's like Steve Earle will not play Copperhead Road and then ah. his, his fans are not happy about it. Yeah, well, I would be bummed out. I love that song. You mm -hmm. know, I played that. That's another, that's a great bar standard. I did that for years, you know, Copperhead Road. It feels good hitting that D chord. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, if I went and saw him play and he didn't play that, I'd be bummed. Yeah. Oh, I get it. I get it as a fan. And I mean, you have to think about that. It's like, well, why did you get into music? Because you're a fan of music. Mm -hmm. Where, when did you lose that? You know, yeah. if that, if that, you know, if that's your attitude and he's got his reasons, I'm not in his brain. I don't know. But uh, for me, you know, I will, I will play hit songs, you know, for my audience because that's what they're there for. You know, that's I'm right. also going to play some other stuff that I like or that I will. There's always at least one song on the set. That's just for us, for the band, yeah. you know, for us to kind of like, you know, dig into and, for a lot of years, that was a song called Dust and Bone or uh, something that I hadn't released or, you know what I mean? Like there's always, we always put one or two in that are just for us, but for the majority of the set, we're going to, we're going to play the songs that, that people want to hear, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have to. Have that's, to. that's your job. Again. That is your job. That's your job. You know, put smiles on people's faces. And what a better job to have. Right. right? Oh my God. So lucky. I hope that I can do it. So, you know, when you were asking me earlier, it's like, what's what's in store for the future? I I hope that we can just keep this train going. You know what I mean? And and COVID was really hard because I come from a live music background and not being able to play live music has been really difficult. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that being, and we had momentum. That's the thing. It's like all that momentum going into that tour. You know, we were about to play, like I said, I was going to play London, England, and then fly to Australia and do a little run down there and then fly to the States and do a little run down there and then come back up and go coast to coast Canada and not being able to do that and have like all that momentum is lost. So what you, what you hope for is that people are still interested enough to buy a ticket to come to see you play. And that's, that's all you can hope for. So hopefully fingers crossed, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, as the world opens and we can have concerts with no restrictions, um, that people will still be interested enough to come out and and feel safe enough to come out because who knows what the what the public's yeah. uh, attitude is going to be about large gatherings you know and and we're playing especially in Ontario like we're doing arenas so it's like that's a that's a big group of people you know yeah yeah I don't think you'll have any trouble selling tickets though. I hope so I <laughs> hope not. yeah um, 
something I, I mean, we always try to ask this of, of everybody that we, we talk to is uh, advice. What would you say to your teenage self? If... Yeah, I, I've thought about that a lot. I, I'm a worrier and I, I, would, I would tell my younger self to stop worrying and just enjoy it. Because, you know, it's easy to say that in retrospect that, you know, things worked out and I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, but uh, there are lots of low moments. And, you know, my parents were not, especially my mom, uh, was not, uh, she didn't love that I wanted to, to live this life, you know, especially when I was out playing bars. And I never understood that. And it kind of, I had a chip on my shoulder about it for a long, for a long time until I had kids. Yeah. And people would ask me, you know, oh, you know, are you, do you hope the kids are musical? Are you going to get them into music? It's like, you know, I hope that they're musical, but I hope that they do it for fun. Yeah. And it ends there. Because when you do music as a job, it's a job. It and, is. you know, it's a great job. But your attitude is different than the 15-year-old kid, you know, that, that sits in his bedroom trying to figure out Stairway to Heaven. You know, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a different vibe. So, you know, I, I hope, like, if, if I could go back in time, I would tell myself, just enjoy it. Enjoy every gig. Enjoy those days, which, I, you know, I did for the most part. Enjoy those days where we could do, you know, we were doing, uh, we played in front of the falls from, oh, no, we did uh, Fort Erie Racetrack from 1 to 3. We played in front of the falls from seven to nine, and then we drove to Patty Green's in Port Colborne and played from ten to two. <laughs> you know, those were epic days. Yeah. You know, I would not have the energy, or probably the pipes to do that now. But you know, an eighteen-year-old Tim Hicks said, "Yeah, we'll take that gig, and we'll take that one, and we'll do that one, and it's going to be great." You know, and and so I I would go back and just tell myself, make sure that you enjoy every second of it because it's going to go by fast. Yeah. Yeah. And all that experience molded you to who you are now, you know, it's just, absolutely, it's so important. So yeah, worrying is definitely something, I mean, there, cause there is a lot to worry about, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's good advice. I think music is mm. supposed to be fun. And I feel like every episode I'm going to be saying this cause I have so far. Um, if, if you don't have fun, then it's not worth doing. What's the point? Yeah. yeah, it's that's the thing. And if you're not having fun, especially when you're on stage, people people can sense that. And then it's a bummer for the whole room. You Just know what as I mean? an example, we went to see Willie Nelson a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. Ooh, I don't think he enjoys it much anymore. <laughs> it was kind or of he was just super stoned. Yeah, could be. we'll go with that. But it was yeah. just like. I'm here to sing, get me off the stage. Like, yep. <laughs> done, give me my money. Yeah, so, yeah I get that. I yeah. Get that. All right, so where can we find your stuff there, Tim? I can put all of it in the show notes, links to your yeah. new album, website. Sure. So, I mean, I just, yeah, website, timhicksmusic.com. There's also, you know, I'm all over every streaming platform, Apple Music, Spotify, um, probably others. And, you know, social media, like, you know, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, any of those, you know. Tim Hicks Radio. Yeah, like there's all those kinds of things. Like if you just, you know, it'll it'll come up. If you're looking for it on Spotify, just 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 run a search for Tim Hicks and all my stuff will come up. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And we'll definitely put links to everything in the show notes. Um, so yeah, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? No, just that, uh, you know, whoever's out there listening to this, like keep on playing. And if you can find friends in and around the same age, you need to play together. That's the, that's how you're going to get real good real fast is when you're playing with other people and you're learning to listen, you know, 
And then you'll have some great moments where you can yell at each other on the stage and really enjoy it, which we do almost every gig at least once. Somebody, mostly me, will go to one of the other guys in the band and go, isn't this awesome? This is awesome. This is way better than the alley, right? It's way better than the alley, you know? Yeah, it's awesome. This is great, you know? It's uh, those are the moments I live for. Thank you so much, Tim. Thanks Thanks for chatting with us. My pleasure. I just, I, you know, I can talk all day about music and about road stories. So I appreciate you guys listening. And hopefully, I didn't bore everybody to death. No, you have great stories, and your passion really comes through. I'm really passionate about it, especially the live things. So. Awesome. Right now, guys, well, I'm going to jump to my right, but thank you so much for the time. And I'm so glad we were able to do this. We should check in again another time, like ne- next album cycle or whatever. You know, for sure. Let's, let's like, keep putting records out. Let's let's do this again. This ain't no fish tearing down a dirt.